Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Therapy Stack podcast. Therapy Stack is the first job board built for mental health professionals. If you're looking for a new job as a therapist, Therapy Stack helps you find unique opportunities at vetted mental health startups, group practices, and clinics. For organizations looking to hire mental health professionals, email me at faraz at therapystack.co to get your job posting listed on the website. So I'd like to introduce this week's guest on Therapy Stack Podcast, Dr. Maria Stewart. Maria is a PhD and adjunct clinical professor at Stanford University School of Medicine and currently splits her time living between the Bay Area and Europe. She specializes in working with children, adolescents, and adults, and has specialized training working with children with eating disorders, depression, and autism. Most recently, Maria has set out on a mission to create her own clinic, which we'll get into during this episode. Maria, appreciate you making the time to chat with me from the other side of the world, I think, right? You're in yeah. Europe right now? I am currently in Athens, in Greece. Wow. Oh, yeah. And, and you're, originally, you're originally from Greece, right? I am, and I actually live in Switzerland, but I just happened to be in Athens at the time, at the moment. And, <laughs> yeah, so that's something I don't know if you checked on, saw on my website, but I have lived in many different countries my whole life, and somehow it hasn't stopped yet. I've always wanted to settle down somewhere, and I'm hoping at some point it will happen. That's awesome. I did notice that I saw you, you lived all over the US, and you also have lived in, in Europe. Maybe that, that's a good segue into just learning a little bit about your background and yeah, just generally what's, where you came from and, and what led you eventually into the field of mental health. Yeah, definitely. Well, I knew that I wanted to be a psychologist when I was in middle school. And I think it was because I saw so many people around me struggling. It was around middle school that I started to kind of understand that there was more to the messages that we were learning than maybe was apparent at face value. And I saw this idea of doing well and everyone aspiring and kind of making it. Uh -huh. And certainly I was in a very high achieving environment, but I don't just mean that. I think there's often an illusion out there that other people are doing better than we are in a sense. I saw that and I think there's a narrative out there and I think I started to get that. And it was a game I, I didn't want to play. I didn't like it. I started to realize that I think in some ways I knew better than what I was being taught, right? Yeah, I knew there was a totally. different way. Personally, what I experienced growing up was this really high-pressured environment. And certainly it was high-pressured in terms of academic achievement. You know, we'll see this among mm -hmm. so many so many teens and young adults and adults, but it wasn't just that. It was this pressure to, to do the right thing, to fit in, right? To be accepted, mm. to do as you're told. It, it, uh, it was something that I saw lead to so much depression and anxiety around me. Most of the people around me were admitting that they were taking medication to help them yeah. with their various you know, mental health struggles. And yet the higher ups, the adults kept pushing it. You know, they, they weren't pushing the medicine, mm -hmm. but they were pushing the narrative. Yeah. And I just didn't buy it. Right. And, and yeah. Yeah. It sort of 
carefree childhood that you know you read or you get the impression of it in some books and movies. I was like, where is that? Yeah. Right? <laughs> I can 100% relate. That's a lot of, I was just telling you before the show, the podcast I started with my sister, that's that's a lot of what pretty much everyone we interviewed talked about because it's it was typically Bay Area based. And that was exactly my experience growing up was heavy pressure. Everyone around you's parents or high functioning CEOs and, you know, the expectation was very high. And that led to a lot of, you know, unhappiness around me in myself. And uh, that's something my sister and I talk about a lot. So it's, it's interesting that you had the same experience. Oh, yeah. And, it, and it's very apropos to what you're saying that I now work primarily in the Bay Area and also in Washington, mm -hmm. D.C., but most of my clients are in the Bay at the moment. And I think their experience is just so similar both to mine back then, decades ago, and to those teens that I'm still working with that are in D.C., I think you've just got these pressure cooker cities, but I do want to say, I don't think it's just the, the pressure cookers, you know, I, I'm sure mm -hmm. there are some people that have ex escaped this narrative, but I do think in general, as, as humans in our culture, there is something about, well, there are many messages that we're receiving. There's a lot about, you know, kind of sacrifice to do mm -hmm. not your best but the best that you could possibly do yeah right <laughs> which yeah. is not balanced right there there's this this idea that if you were to give everything you've got you're gonna get somewhere and it, it's beautiful and that's driven so many people right mm -hmm. so i don't want to take that away but the idea of going all in at the expense of other things now, you know, what's the cost and is it really worth it? And that was the conversation I didn't hear, right? Mm -hmm. The cost mm -hmm. then was the mental health. And everyone was like, ah, yep. but that's not such a big deal. Ah, they're going to outgrow yeah. that. I still hear that. I work so much with teenagers that have eating disorders. And they're like, isn't that just a phase? Yeah. Oh, right. These are things that are so difficult for people that make them feel often, not always, obviously, but often like they may not want to be alive or, you know, mm -hmm. what's, I do want to be alive, but I don't even understand the point of it. Why am I doing all of this it, beyond, you know, existential questions for sure, but they can be tortured and to minimize it and say, oh, mm. come on, you'll get past that. You got to learn to live with that. I just didn't buy yeah. it. I, there's got to be yeah. another way. And, and would you, would you attribute any of that to, and I know you've lived on the West and the East, but like, would you attribute any of that to Western culture and like, just like the American kind of capitalist culture of you need to get the most and therefore you put everything into the, the one thing, or is that uh, too generalized? I, it's hard for me to speak to that. And, and I love that you're bringing up culture because I think a lot about it with respect to this specific topic, I don't know how the West may compare to other parts of the world because certainly there is drive everywhere, right? And high achievement everywhere. And, and I see cultures outside of the West where people are sacrificing 
you know, everything they've got. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that's that true. is to achieve yeah. and how much of that's survival, right? Or get, you know, do better for my kids than I had. That's, that is in, inherent yeah, in us. that's true. So, but I do think, you know, there's, there are definitely cultural differences, you know, something I, I think a lot about or I visited Greece. So I visit Greece often because I have family mm -hmm. there and I, I'm there often. I mean, throughout my life, I've been there often. And if I ever go to the gym there, I'll hear from the instructors things like, well, you wouldn't want to come every day. Come on, let's not overdo it. I mean, three times a week <laughs> max. What are you talking about? Interesting. Right? From the instructor. <laughs> and in the US, it's like, Go, go, go. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of that before. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's just such a different way of thinking. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So and we forget that you can happen. think that way. Yes. <laughs> like, that yes. is an option. Like, you don't ever hear anyone around you, at least growing up here, like, you just don't hear that. And that's very much an option and a choice of how to live. But it's just not around us, I guess. Right, right. And, and I think, you know, maybe people will say, oh, but those countries aren't the most prosperous and, you know, they yeah. might compare it and, and sort of assume the opposite might be true. Oh, if, if I were to think that, then I wouldn't, you know, achieve everything that I want to achieve and so forth. And now we're getting into mindset and beliefs. Right. But I, I don't know that it's an all or nothing. It also takes some thinking of like, what does living a happy, successful life even mean to you? Personally, as I've, as I've like advanced through my life a little bit, to me, it's like a happy life means I wake up, I'm happy, I can do the things I want to do, and I have friends and family. But for all those things, you don't necessarily need a lot of money or material success to get them. But right. like, if you haven't thought that through, then it's very easy to, you know, be influenced by what's around you and just be like, oh, of course I need money because I need to, to get this house and I need to do that and I need to do that. But like, you haven't taken the, the step back to think what would actually make me happy and fulfilled in my life. And I feel like that's, that's what's missing a lot of times. Yes. And that balance, I think that prioritizing mental health right? That it's mm -hmm. not something to be overlooked and then figured out, right? That it, yep. it matters so much because it's, it's part and parcel, not just of our daily experience, but also of us living a meaningful life, right? Mm -hmm. Those two are, are so connected to each other. I think about, I, I wish I could quote this better. <laughs> There's a little bit I don't know <laughs> about this, but the ancient Greeks talked about moderation. Mm -hmm. They thought that was the mm -hmm. thing to work toward. And they actually, they had this word that I, I don't know ancient Greek, unfortunately, but something about <laughs> the word for perfection was actually something that was not to be strived for because it would trip you up. And it was part oh, of the language wow. and the description <laughs> and they knew that, right? And I think about <laughs> they that. They had it figured you know, out. Yeah, to, to live 100% in your whole life is so different than to give a hundred percent of everything you have to this one thing at the mm -hmm, expense mm -hmm. of dot, dot, dot. Right. Yep. 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 Anyway, that's very I cool. I you. mean, it's, 
<laughs> it's clear. It's clear you you have a, a very deep deep passion and you know experience with with probably your own and other people's mental health around you. So I, I find that very inspiring, and I yeah. I also feel like I'm the same way, and I, I've constantly just been looking at mental health around me and and that's what's pushed me further in in my direction in this field i know you've done a decent amount of schooling and training and i don't want to minimize that in any way i'm curious what was your journey from you know kind of realizing all this stuff pretty early on in your life and realizing how important it was to you to going into the field and then eventually you know starting your own your own private practice in the field. I know that's a big, big gap between those things, but I'd love to just hear your experience <laughs> of, of how, how you decide to go that route. Yeah, I feel like we could talk hours about that. So back mm. to middle school, I knew I wanted to be a psychologist. I knew I wanted to work for with, with teens, not necessarily exclusively, kids and teens, almost like an mm -hmm. advocate, because I just wanted to help adults shift the narrative. I wanted teens to be exposed to something different. Mm -hmm. And so I, I knew that's where I was headed. And I went to college, I majored in psychology, I minored in women's studies, I was at Wellesley College. And I kind of wish almost that I hadn't known because I may have taken some other classes and that I, you know, how interesting <laughs> it may have been. But like I did every possible thing I could do with psychology and women's studies. And then I went right nice. into grad school. A lot of people, everybody pretty much was recommending that I take time off just to be a research assistant, make sure I wanted to go into the field. I knew I wanted to go into the field. I was like, I've got, you know, I don't have time to kill. Like we've got people to help. And, and did you know what you wanted to do at that point? Or was it just like, I want to learn everything I can about psychology and these specific pieces of psychology? I knew I wanted to have a private practice. And okay. I knew that I wanted to work with kids and teens and, and young adults, kind of the whole, the whole thing, the whole thing. I mean, I wasn't exclusive in age, but uh, mm -hmm. I guess there are certain populations that I was not thinking about necessarily like geriatric populations, for example, Yeah, I think because of my experience, I was thinking quite a bit about things that relate to girls and women and families. And I've spent a lot of time just getting to know clinicians over the years, just being in this mental health startup space. And it's very, very common to hear, you know, you know, people are interested in private practice, want to want to get into it. but you know, don't feel prepared, don't feel confident enough to run a business because that's, that's really what it is. It is your own, your own business. Um, mm -hmm. I'm wondering, did, did it always come naturally to you to, to, Hey, I'm going to start a private practice. I'm going to be a business owner and do my thing. I know you, you probably don't look at it as a, maybe you don't look at it as a business. I don't know, but I'm curious what, what gave you that confidence and that like assuredness to go do that? That's a great question. I don't, I think partly for me, it was personal because I also had this desire to have a family. And I thought that mm. having your own practice gave you the flexibility with hours to adjust it. 
Now, I started my private practice before I had a family, and I ran it for a very long time before I had a family. So it, it wasn't, you know, connected to that in the end. But I think that's the idea that I had in my mind. And I will say that when I started it, I knew I wanted to do it, and also I needed a push into it. Yeah. So I remember yeah. I did, I was doing a postdoc and then I decided to do a second postdoc and that had more to do with not being sure whether I wanted to go into academia or go full-time into private practice and I wanted a little bit more time to figure that out. And I can tell you a little bit more about mm -hmm. how I ended up in that dilemma if, if you're curious. But then when yeah. I sort of decided, okay, I'm not going to go academic route, I'm going to go into private practice, I, I, I told my mentor, I told my colleagues. And then my mentor in, in one of our research meetings was talking about some fellowship that people could apply for. Da, da, da. And, I, and I went to him and I was like, I could apply for the fellowship. Maybe I shouldn't go into private practice. I could, I could, <laughs> I could stay here. And he, <laughs> I'm so grateful. He was like, no, I'm not going to support you in doing that. You have been very clear that this is what you want to do. And now you're going to go do it. Right. And then I just yeah, was not, yeah. I kind of, I, some, a colleague of mine, referred a client to me before I had a number, before I had any mm. contracts, before I had a space, mm -hmm. suddenly I got a phone call and I talked to her. I was like, I don't, I'm not set up. She's like, yes, you are now. You got a week. I was like, <laughs> ah, a week is not enough. <laughs> Better be, go do it. Here. That's awesome. Like, ah. Yeah, as you jump. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask like, there is that, I, and I think there is that fear component, and it's it's the same with honestly starting any business. Like I I went through it myself with with the businesses that I've started. It's like, do I know what I'm doing? Should I put myself out there? Am I good enough? All that stuff. Am I going to be able to get customers or clients? Was it those fears? What was like the biggest fear for you that was like kind of you feel preventing you from making that jump? I don't remember the biggest. I don't know if you know Berkeley. There is a park called People's Park. Yeah. Where there are a lot of people there that don't have yeah, friends yeah. that live there. And I was living down a yeah. few blocks from there and I was like, I could end up in People's Park. Huh. Because what if I can't pay my bills? Like what if nobody comes and I just can't pay my bills? And I, I'm like in a tent at People's Park. Yeah. And so I did I did the work on myself <laughs> that I do with clients. And I was like, okay, sit there. Let's let's flesh this out. You're there. What what next? And I sat there with that internally and I was like, I'm there and I have like worked so hard and I'm there. And then at some point I was like, okay, but I'm not gonna just stay there the rest of my life. Like I would probably just go and if I need a bag groceries, I'll start doing that again. And then I realized, oh yeah, it doesn't mm -hmm. end at that worst case scenario, right? Once I mm -hmm. got that, mm -hmm. I was like, yeah. I can do this, right? Like I gotta, you can course correct, right? right. So I don't know if that right. in particular with the money was the biggest fear. I know it was a big one because then I was completely on my own, right? And I, I calculate like, this is my rent. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, these are the bills I got to pay. Am I going to be able to at least cover that? <laughs> Forget about the excess, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, it's real stuff. It's real stuff. Yeah. Something I like to talk about is therapist pay and, and the, the uneasiness around pay and, and having a, a stable income for a job that's mm -hmm probably one of the most difficult jobs that exists. I can say that for sure, coming from the tech world, you know, helping people all day and hearing everything that they're going through 
hour to hour to hour is 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 just you know i have a lot a lot of admiration for for the job and it's it's rough and especially and then at the end of that if you're not sure that you're going to be able to pay rent you know that's that's a pretty legitimate fear to have and i'm sure you have a lot of a lot of insight on that but okay so so i'd love to now just transition a little bit into you started your private practice you know you're you were convinced to stick to your original mission do private practice and so somewhere along the line it sounds like you decide maybe I want to, maybe I want more than this. Maybe I want to expand the reach of this. And you're in the process of, of forming your own clinic right now. Right. Would love to hear about that experience and like what, what drove that decision and, and maybe even yeah. just kind of where you're at right now with it and all that. Definitely. So, okay. A funny thing is my husband for a while now has been saying, start a clinic. Why don't you start a clinic? Like I, I also teach as I think you mentioned, and I love teaching Mm -hmm. and he always says, you're teaching people anyway. Why don't you have trainees that you are teaching and have a clinic? And I keep saying, I have said, no, 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 I just don't want a clinic. It's not exciting to me. I know people, my friends have clinics. I don't want a clinic. No, no, no. And then I kind of landed into this position where one day I woke up and I was telling him, I think I'm starting a clinic. (laughs) I didn't realize that what I had in mind was a clinic. And I think it's because of everything we're talking about that you're saying the last five, seven years, things seem to be shifting. And I agree with you completely. I think the way that we're viewing mental health and also what we're doing with the internet is changing so much, especially after COVID, right? The traditional idea of clinic just was not exciting to me. And then I started to realize that what I was wanting to put together, I guess you can call it a clinic in the sense that I'd like to hire people to join me in delivering services, right? But it it would probably yeah. look so yeah. different than the the ideas that I had mm. of clinics growing up and, and not just growing up, but of, of the way my colleagues are doing it. And I think the things that I think about are not just the services because what kind of services are there? Are, are you offering then, right? Is it part of the traditional landscape of mental health or are you shifting it somehow? And that's my idea to shift it. I the the term that comes to mind is kind of a the boutique experience although I think technically speaking when I look up boutique I usually see retainer fee and and I don't have that in mind at the moment for people but more this you know yep. normally I I've I've described my clinic or or what I do my practice or what I do with in terms of diagnoses and what I work with but I kind of am moving away from that, the, that conceptualization of it and into more thinking of the tailored experience for this person and that we're working on themes that, yeah, they happen to, to show up in these different diagnostic categories. And those are the ones that I typically work on and specialize with, but it's very different to say, for example, I don't know, I work with this illness. And it's different to say, Mm -hmm. I work to help people towards doing blank, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I want to help people kind of that are that that are starting to notice that these habits that they've been in for quite a bit of time aren't serving them. Right. We can attach labels and mm-hmm. diagnoses to them, but I don't know that that's the primary the thing that needs the most attention. Right. It's more we are we have these patterns mm-hmm. and there are certain patterns that I tend to work on a lot and I'd love to bring people on that work on those patterns, work on other patterns, and together we can help people to live more meaningful lives, to flourish more, to feel more connected, to feel more inspired, right? It's sort of a different phrasing than, I have a clinic where I work with these disorders, where I was kind of like, wah, 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 I don't really want to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it sounds more like you're going to like a doctor's office and a more sterile experience than what you're talking about, which is more like we want to help you get from these feelings and habits to these feelings and habits and this sort of lifestyle sort of thing. Right. And through a connection. And that's always an interesting thing because I actually only work via telehealth right now. And it's so different than mm-hmm. in person. I hope still as effective and the research shows that it is, it's just different, right? But to be able to achieve that mm-hmm. human connection with somebody in a moment of either pain or insight, right? Or, or some, some depth mm-hmm. and to hold that through this digital platform and help them move towards something that brings them more meaning and inspiration in life. That I would love to bring a whole team on and we all work on that. That gets me really excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes me excited, honestly, just hearing about it. And, and so you mentioned some patterns and, and things that you kind of focus on. Are you referring to like kind of the patterns that lead to some of the things that you specialize in, like OCD and, and these yeah. uh, eating disorders yeah, yeah, yeah. and things like that? Or is that kind of still going to be the focus of the clinic or is it more generalized? Well, I mean, my hope is that we're going to meet people where they are across sort of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So not exactly the spectrum because I'm not going to offer at least as of now, residential treatment, or I'm not a hospital, right? So it's not quite the full spectrum, but hopefully in the future, we can even work on prevention. That's, that would be really exciting to me and catching things really early on and, or, or again, helping prevent, protect people from these, you know, exacerbating these patterns that can end up leading into becoming more serious. But then working with folks that either are starting to notice that things aren't quite working out the way that they want to, or there are things that they want to change, but it's also quite manageable. We work with them. I love, I love working with people in that kind of severity level group. And for example, either teens or young adults, I love working with young adults. They're kind of figuring it out, right? And it's not that it's so severe that they are needing intensive therapy to address one specific thing, but they're really figuring out dating and living on your own and buying groceries and cooking and feeding yourself and starting to pay bills. And for example, starting to pay therapy bills through their own insurance, right? And they're moving away from 
from their parents, which often happens around 26, not 18 or 22, right? And that that stage of life, I get, I, I just, I love it. So, and of course, that level of severity doesn't just have to be that stage of life, but I happen to get a lot of young adults that kind of want a lot more support, even though the severity is not very high. And then my, what I also do, and I want to continue doing, is offering help for people that need even more help. So the, as the severity level increases, what the, the appropriate treatment that we would provide will also change and probably increase. And that's one of the reasons why I want to hire people, because there's only so much that I can do on my own. And I get really excited about offering tailored, individualized, more intensive services, so that if people do need something like two times a week, three times a week, even if it's just 45 minutes or three times a week, three hours each time, we could tailor it to what they need. And so yes, traditionally, if we think about diagnoses, what comes up are eating disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety disorder. When you get those, you very often get depression. And I work with eating disorders a lot, which sometimes overlaps with autism spectrum. So does OCD. So I definitely see people on the spectrum as well. So hopefully meeting them and, and being able to to individualize it for what they need. And that's where the word boutique comes up in my mind and bringing people on board so that there's a whole team to do that in a way that I on my own just don't have the capacity to do. I'm really excited for that potential. I think that's an extremely, extremely exciting vision. And I personally like the idea of, you know, forming your own organization in the way that you see fit. Same, it's the same thing with business. Like someone might think about the word clinic means this, but I like how you're thinking about it through the lens of what you want a clinic to look like. And, it, and it, I think that's also will be really exciting for, for others who, who may want to join the clinic. So I wanted to ask just a little bit more operationally, I believe today your private practice, you serve clients in California. Is that going to be the case with your clinic that you're building out? And also, what type of mental health professionals do you see as first hires for, for this clinic? Right, right. So at the moment, I work both in California and DC. And I'm, I'm hoping to okay. add a few other places, especially in the metropolitan area of DC. When I, when we first started talking, I was looking for a board certified behavior analyst and I actually ended up mm -hmm. finding one and love her so much that mm -hmm. I want more. <laughs> I learned in the process that some of them go on to get other degrees, which I didn't realize. So BCBAs for those mm. listening that don't know, they are specialists. They have specialized training in behavioral analysis, behavior training, everything that has to do with behaviors. And I think I'm not a specialist in that area, but I believe traditionally they worked a lot with people on the spectrum. Now, 
what I've noticed is that they are being included more and more in treatment for in, intense treatment for obsessive compulsive disorder because there's just so much behavioral work that's mm. done in exposure and response prevention. And so it lends itself very naturally there. And I don't know if they might be, you know, the future might include them working with other mental illnesses as well. I'm kind of curious about that, but I see that potential. And so if they, you know, if many of them end up getting this training and then they go on to get some sort of either become a professional, licensed professional counselor or marriage and family therapist or social worker, whatever it is, I think you end up getting kind of the, the multiple perspectives that can just contribute mm -hmm. so much. So having learned all of this, that's why I was telling you at the beginning, now I, I've kind of, it's opened my eyes. So I still am really curious yeah. to, to hear and, and learn about folks that are BCBAs that would be interested in working in the type of clinic that I'm wanting to set up. And also folks that either have that kind of training and other training, or maybe they are you know, getting started in the mental health training world, whether it's again, licensed professional counselor or any of the others. And, and they have that interest in helping folks get insight into what's going on, learn. So, so there's the, the education component, the insight component, and integrating that to help them take action. You know, I think that those mm -hmm. three things are elements that I would love to see in everybody that's on the team, because at the end of the day, the way that I tend to work is really about helping folks shift something so that they can do something differently to get from where they are to where they want to be. Would you, would you consider potentially someone like an LMFT or an LPCC that has a, a deep interest in learning more about behaviors or are you looking with someone that has actual, or it, it sounds like you're moving away from needing a specific degree to more like, you know, interested in learning. Is that accurate or are, are you still both. kind of looking for a degree? Okay. I, it would be great to grow the clinic. And so that we've got all of those, the, all of those folks, right? Because they're all offering something different so that together as a team, when providing this individualized care, we can provide something that's of great value. Yeah. I think that's a great approach and also opens up the population of, of great clinicians that might be aligned with kind of your mindset and what, and what your vision is for it. So, so in terms of, you know, when you're, when you're looking to hire right now, when you, when you look at, you know, this future team of clinicians, what do you look at as like the breakup of those clinicians and what, what matters to you when, when hiring clinicians? Hmm. So many things. I mean, for sure, their passion and that they're inspired to do this work, that it feels aligned to them and to, to me and to the whole team, that we're kind of working well together. And from the get-go, it feels like things are flowing well, that they have a level either of training and expertise that's a good match with what we're looking for, or they're willing and eager to get it from us, even if that means putting in some extra work to read some books and some articles and, and learn that information. And it's, it's really important to me to have a clinic that represents 
a variety as, as many as many different groups that we can find that we can have of folks from different cultural and ethnic and racial groups. I grew up biracial and bicultural and in a lot of different places and no one has, I think maybe one person in my life has been able to identify, oh yeah, like to guess up front, this is where you are from, right? Nobody really yeah. knows. And and I grew up in a in a time, at a time when it wasn't so common for people to to be from a mixed backgrounds. So I think now, I don't know, it almost seems like almost everybody, not everybody literally, but there's just so many people that are, right? Yeah. And I mean, really, really quick statistic. I think it's 20, I think it's in 2050, there's going to be more mixed Americans yeah. than like Caucasian Americans. Right, right, right. And I, I was not part of that, right? I was part of the group where my parents were, I think it, they, they got married the first year that interracial marriage was permitted in the U.S. And so I was part of that sort of first bunch of folks. And, wow. and so that has just been always constantly on my mind. And yeah. I've studied it. I think about it. I think about it with my cases. I want that reflected and integrated into this practice where we're all bringing different ways of thinking, different backgrounds, experiences into, into the clinic, into the work, into the work with the clients, into our work as a team. And yeah, that diversity of, of humans is reflected. That really excites me. And having these conversations really excites me. It's, it's really, really exciting to me seeing people get, you know, at the helm of starting something big. And, and I, I feel that energy from you. And for those listening, where can a clinician who's, who's listening to this podcast, if they want to learn more about you or get in touch with you. What's the best way of doing that? My email and my website are very similar. So it's dr for doctor and then Maria Christina. Christina's okay. a C H. R I S T I N A. So Dr. Maria Christina at gmail.com or Dr. Maria Christina.com. Perfect. And if you are looking for a job, the Dr. Maria Christina's job posting will be up on our website, therapystack.co. So if you're interested based on what you heard in this conversation, go take a look, learn a little bit more about what, what Maria Christina is building and yeah, thanks again for being on this episode, taking the Thank time, you. spending some time with us from Europe. It's, it's awesome <laughs> to do these international ones. Yeah, um, thank and you it was a pleasure getting to know you a little bit better. You too. You're at the helm of something <laughs> yeah. too. And I'm just excited to be seeing you at that and being a part of it. Thanks for including me. This is great. It's very inspiring. Absolutely. Thanks <laughs> again, Maria Christina. Talk to you yeah. very soon. Sounds good. Bye. Bye.